they did so great, and I, we love uh, baby dedications, um, and we love children um, growing up. You know, th- during the course of my uh, Christian life, if there were times uh, when I was discouraged, when I'm hurt, when I'm anxious, I'm not sure what to do, there have been certain passages of scripture that God has used to encourage me. And then I want to share with you today, and there are probably several dozens, but I want to share with you 10 of my uh, favorite passages, 10 uh, Bible verses or passages that have encouraged me uh, during times of discouragement or despair, right? Um, the first uh, passage is from Psalm 23. It's a, it's a very famous passage that even non-church people are familiar with. Uh, in Psalm 23, verse 4, although I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I fear no evil, for you are with me, your rod and your staff, they comfort me. I've used this verse many times when I visit people in the hospital or deathbeds. Psalm 139, it's a psalm about God's omniscience. Verse 2, you know when I sit down, when I rise up. Verse 3, you search out my path and my lying down. Verse 6, such knowledge is too wonderful for me. You know, it is amazing to me that God knows everything about me. Everything. And still he chooses to love me. Isaiah 4, verses 30 and 31 this was especially meaningful to me when I was younger as, and in college. Though youths grow weary and tired and vigorous young men stumble badly. And I, I so resonated with this particular phrase. Yet those who wait for the Lord will gain new strength. They will mount up with wings like eagles. They will run and not get tired. They will walk and not become weary. Philippians 4, 6 and 7, when uh, I am anxious, I'm not sure what to do. This is a promise. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving. Let your requests be made known to God and the peace of God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Hebrews 4, 15 and 16. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. The throne of grace, I love that phrase. There are five more, and each one of these five are found in what is known as the greatest chapter of the Bible, Romans chapter 8. Romans chapter 8, verse 1. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For those of us who struggle with sin at times, we need to preach this to ourselves that there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ. Romans 8, 26. Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness, for we do not know what to pray as we ought, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. We're going to talk about this next week, but boy, you know, there are times in our lives when I, and I, we, we sit to pray and we don't know what to pray. We just don't. 
and the Spirit uses even our groanings. Romans 8, 28, and we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good. For those who are called according to his purpose, there are times when we get, uh, our lives are upside down and we're not sure why things are the way they are. But God promises us through Romans that God works all together, uh, all things together for good. What a great promise. Romans 8, 35 and 38 and 39 who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? For I am sure that neither death nor life, nor angels nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord, what a great promise that is, that there's nothing, absolutely nothing in creation that can separate us from the love of Christ. Even me, I can't separate myself from the love of Christ. There's a 10th uh, verse that, that's been meaningful to me, and it's out of our passage from today. So would you turn your Bibles with me to Romans chapter 8, verses uh, 14 through 17, 14 through 17. And I'll be reading from the ESV version. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons, by whom we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God, and if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with God, Christ. Provided we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. I, I think this is such a great promise, especially verse 15. It's a promise that we ought as Christians, and if you are here as Christians, it, it is a verse that you ought to not only know in your head, perhaps even memorize it, but hold in your heart. That you did not receive the slavery, uh, spirit of slavery as slaves, uh, a spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of, the, of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. The Holy Spirit uh, speaks to his children in a subjective manner to remind us of two things that we have taken to transition as children of God. We've gone from fear to intimacy and from uh, suffering or pain and to inheritance. And uh, let's talk about the first transition that has taken place, uh, that we go from fear to intimacy. It says in verse 14, for all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. If we have the Holy Spirit within us, we are sons of God. Uh, and then verse 15 talks about how we have received the Spirit of adoption. There is a an assumption that if we do not have the Spirit of God, that we are not adopted, meaning that we are orphans. You know, we have all been born with an innate desire and need for parents, mother or father. If you think about it, uh, a baby spends nine months, nine months of, his exist in, uh, of existence um, encased uh, by the mother's womb the warmth, the nutrients, 
the protection, and even this familiar heartbeat that, that communicates to the baby you are safe. And at that moment of birth, that baby is separated from the mother's womb. And, and when the baby comes out uh, from the mother's womb, one of the first reactions that the baby uh, does is to cry. I need the warmth, the protection, the nutrients, uh, the love of my mother. And so the mom takes the newborn babe, and what does the doctor do? They, they place the baby on the, in the chest of the mom, right? So the baby can feel the warmth of her mother again, to feel the heartbeat. And it is in the mother's um, arm where the baby is fed and protected and, and spoken to. It assures the baby that the world is a safe place, that uh, the mom is there for you. An orphan doesn't have this. A child grows up um, learning what the world is like, and if, if you've ever taken a toddler out into those streets, out into the world, um, and they may wander off uh, feeling adventurous, and then they uh, suddenly uh, encounter a stranger or a, a loose dog, and a child, what is the child? Do they run back to mom or dad? hides behind a leg because they feel like um, in the presence of mom and dad, um, there is safety. A child learns to use crayons and they take a piece of paper and, and looks at mom and draws uh, uh, random figures. I think there's a circle somewhere and a bunch of sticks and afterward the child looks at the drawing and so proud and gives it to mom. Hey, here mom. And you're looking at the drawing, trying to figure out what it is, and then you realize, is this me? And, and, then, and then, yeah. And mom, you do your best um, lie and say, this is beautiful, thank you. And you put that drawing, one of the first that your child has ever drawn for you, um, a portrait of the the person he loves, mom, and you put that picture on the refrigerator door. And what you're doing is you're affirming your child. Uh, you're competent, you're valued. An orphan doesn't have that. And when a young adolescent, a teenager grows up um, feeling out their independence and trying to figure out, hey, what is, uh, what is acceptable, what is not, what will I get in trouble for, what will I not? And at the same time, there are times when the teenager knows they're breaking the law, they're breaking their parents' rule. And even when they're getting uh, scolded by their parents, there's a sense in which teenagers know that, yeah, I want to break the rules, but at the same time, I'm so glad that my parents are around to get me into trouble so that I don't stray too far. An orphan doesn't have that. A boy joins Little League Baseball and they're up to bat. And as, as, as the strikers call and as they swing away, they're, the little boy's looking over the whole time at mom and dad as mom and dad are clapping for them. And even with a strikeout, the, the boy looks over and mom and dad are still clapping. That was a great strikeout. That was the best strikeout I've ever seen. <laughs> but 
But if you think about it, a, a spiritual orphan, they long for an all-powerful protection, unconditional acceptance, and unending care. But a spiritual orphan feels alone, unaccepted, and unloved. You see, without the father, there's fear in their lives. Because they're constantly looking to see, is there someone here for me? Is there someone here who can accept me? Is there someone here um, who can affirm who I am as an individual? And so without, a, without the presence of a father, a spiritual father, a spiritual mother, we're constantly trying to figure out how to achieve that and receive that. And we are in fear. What Paul tells us in Romans 8 and why this is so important, he's saying to Christians, the Holy Spirit's uh, ministry is to remind you that you are a child of God, that you no longer have to fall back into uh, the slavery that leads you to fear, but you have a radically different relationship with God, that you're not simply a creation of God. Everything is a creation of God, but you are a uniquely a, a daughter of God, a son of God. That you're no longer a stranger wanting to see if I've, I'm good enough. God has already answered that question. That you're no longer enemies of God because of your sins, but by the blood of Jesus Christ, you have been justified and adopted. Adoption changes who we are as a person, our status, our, our relationship with uh, the creator, uh, the adoption of sons uh, in, in your Bible, it's actually one Greek word. It's a combination of two words, sons, and to be placed. Some translation calls it sonship. Uh, some translation calls it adoption. You know, a while back, I was flying back with, uh, with my family from um, out of the country and as was on the plane, they gave out these little forms, immigration forms, uh, or these forms uh, that we have to fill out through customs. And the custom form basically said that only one form is necessary for the family. And what I was surprised by was how they define family. A family member is someone who is related to you by birth, by marriage, or by adoption. That if you are adopted, you are fully a part of that family. You know, we've had many families here who've adopted children and some family, uh, some uh, people who themselves have been adopted. I remember talking to one uh, pair of adopt, um, uh, uh, adoption family, parents, and I asked them, uh, you know, as someone who've never, you know, adopted, um, can you explain to me something that I should be aware of? And the father told me, you know, sometimes we walk around with our children um, and there are times when people ask us, would you have um, wanted real children? And he said that they get so offended by that, saying, no, these are real children. They're our children. Um, they may not be biological children, but they are our children. And when we become children of God, God is saying, you are my children that I have committed to you, not, at mo um, not merely at the moment of adoption, but for a lifetime. And as children of God, as daughters of God, as sons of God, 
what Paul tells us to do and what the Spirit is subjectively urging our hearts is that you realize that you can be in a place, you are in a place where you can cry out. Cry out. The Greek lexicon says that it is an um, inarticulate shout that express deep emotion. We cry out not when we're fully in control, not when we're emotionally neutral, but we cry out in, in times of great joy or great despair. That's when we cry out. It is what the blind men said when they heard that Jesus was walking by. They cry out, can you save us? Can you heal us? It is what Peter did when he was sinking in the, in the lake, save me. It is when, uh, when the mother who had a demon-possessed daughter did when Jesus was passing by, who, can you save my daughter? You get the point? We cry out in moments of Emotional desperation or emotional joy. And Paul says that the Spirit urges us, children of God, to cry out, and not necessarily for a particular request, but uh, the object is Abba, Father. Abba is Aramaic. That's the, that's the common language of the time. And Father is the Greek One definition said, Abba is the tender endearment by a beloved child, uh, an affectionate, dependent relationship with a father. Abba can be translated as daddy in English, papi in Spanish, appa in Korean, ba in Chinese, and papa in French. Martin Lloyd-Jones uh, said, Abba was a word lisped by a little child. Let us notice the word cry. We cry, Abba, Father. It is a very strong word, and clearly the apostle has used it quite deliberately. It means a loud cry. It expresses deep emotion. What then does it imply? Obviously, in real knowledge of God, God is no longer to us a distant God. He is not merely a God in whom we believe intellectually, theologically, theoretically, doctrinally only. And the Holy Spirit is trying to speak to our hearts saying, you have an Abba Father. You can cry out to him. You know, I'll be honest with you, and, and for the past few weeks, I've been really meditating on this particular passage, studying it um, as best as I can, reading a bunch of different category, uh, commentaries, but I, I, I have a confession that I have a difficult time relating to this. And it's, it, perhaps it's because I'm male, grew up in an Asian home. I, I, my personality is I'm more of a thinker. Uh, it's perhaps because I was separated from my father a uh, number of years when I was growing, old, growing up. In the Korean language, uh, the most affectionate way to say father is appa. And, as, uh, uh, and, and the more formal language is uh, abaji or abanim. I've, I don't remember, I don't ever remember calling my father appa. I probably did when I was really little. But by, by the time we were reunited in, um, in immigration, I was calling him Abonim, which is almost the most formal way of saying it. And so I, I have a difficult time kind of relating to this um, as a child, but in some ways I can relate to this as a father because, you see, as many of you know, I've raised two daughters up. 
And though both of them are full-blown adults, graduated college, full-time job, the older one is uh, married, um, now living with their husband. When I see them, they still both call me Appa. And I have a feeling till the day that, you know, I grow old, they will call me Appa, Appa Father. Janice uh, runs our social media ministry here at church, and there are times I need to email her, and uh, sometimes I'm, I'm emailing other people and such, and when it comes to business, I try to be like more pastoral. Dear Janice, <laughs> and she sometimes don't know how to reply to me, so once in a while she says, Yes, Appa Father, I'm a, or a Pastor Appa. <laughs> what does it mean to cry out, Abba Father? My older daughter, um, when in elementary school, she entered the spelling bee. The way that her spelling bee worked at Oak Ridge Elementary is that fourth, fifth, sixth graders within their own classroom, they have a little mini spelling bee. Two winners advance. And so you have a group of fourth, fifth, sixth graders in a little competition, and the finalists, the five finalists, go to uh, the spelling bee within their school. And it was during the award ceremony, so Christine, as a fourth grader, got into this finals. And in order to prepare, we would practice words, and we'd have a long list of words and little cards, and we would be in the garage practicing words. I would read it to her, and she would spell it. And um, if she gets them wrong, it gets put into a, a pile that she, made, uh, she had wrong, and then we practice that. And the list of words that they gave us, hundreds of words, I mean, she had it down. And uh, at the award ceremony, she was up on the stage with uh, four other kids. And this was, this was the, the school award ceremony, so a lot of parents were there also. And as, um, they, would, they would go, and uh, it's like the National Spelling Bee. If you, get, if you get it wrong, there's a little ding sound, and then, you know, you're out. And, and these kids were smart. They were, they were doing it really well. And, and one kid got out, and so there were four left. And, and all the words that they were calling out, I, I just knew that she knew all the words because we had practiced all of them. And um, we still remember the word inquisitor. That word will infamously live in our <laughs> home. It is not I-N-Q-U-S-T-O-R, but it's I-N-Q-U-I-S-T-O-R. But when she... Uh, spelled it, uh, there was this a ding, and uh, so she was asked to come off the stage and be on the side. Uh, when that particular section was over, I, uh, my, my wife was watching my younger daughter, and so I went to the side where the kids were coming off the stage, and you know, she looked cool and calm and no problem. Um, but as soon as she saw me, she ran to me, and she wrapped herself around me, and she started crying. Um, and at that moment, as her father, as her appa, I had to hurt with her, and I had to I'd tell her that I'm so proud of you still. You know, I just, I don't want to, like, give the impression I'm such a great dad, because there are times when <laughs> I'm no good. There are times when, uh, at night when they're in their room, and uh, especially when, when they need to talk about a certain issue or when they're sick. I go in there, I, I d 
do the father thing the best that I can. And uh, there have been moments when uh, my daughters would say, I need amma. (laughs) They need their mother. And so I said, I don't know. You know, I told them to get better. They won't listen. (laughs) And so my wife would go in and she would do this thing. And it's an old Korean, like a a child song. Uh, For those of you uh, who are Korean, maybe your mom did this for you or maybe you did this for uh, your kids. Right? Mommy's hand is medicine hand. And my wife would do that for my kids. It, it, and what, what my wife was doing, what, my, uh, what their mother was doing to their daughters, her daughters was to uh, tell her that I, I understand your pain and I'm here with you, you're not alone. Do you know why Romans 8, uh, 15 is so important? It's because even as Christians, we th- think and act and live like we're orphans that we're alone in this world, that we're unloved and unaccepted. And the Holy Spirit needs to remind us over and over and over again, you're not an orphan, you're not enslaved to fear, but you are a child of God. The Spirit does more than just remind us of that, But he takes us not simply from uh, fear to intimacy, but from suffering to inheritance, from suffering to inheritance. Verse 16, the Spirit, capital S, uh, himself bears witness with our spirit, small s, that we are children of God. The Holy Holy Spirit uh, speaks to our human spirit to remind us that we're children of God. You see, this is necessary because, like I said, that we oftentimes, uh, even as Christians, still think that we're orphans. And one of the schemes of the devil, one of the strategies of the evil one, is to make you believe that even though you're justified, forgiven, that his strategy is to make you think that we are orphans. That the only thing that we have is what we see in this lifetime that the pain and poverty of this world is all that exists for us, that, uh, that we need to fight, cheat, and work as, uh, as hard as possible so that we can be acceptable. But Romans eight seventeen says, if children, if you are a child of God, you are an heir of God, a co-heir with Jesus Christ. You know, the Jewish culture of this time didn't necessarily practice adoption. It's the Roman society and the Roman culture um, did it and the the church at Rome would understand this. But the the adoption back then uh, was a little bit different from adoption today. Today, uh, adoption is practiced for children who oftentimes would lose parents or or the parents couldn't take care of them. And parents would take a a baby or a young child out of affection, out of mercy, and bring them into the home. In the Roman culture back then, adoption oftentimes would occur when a wealthy um, patriarch, because he had no sons, would adopt a, a boy or an adult male to become an heir to his estate. 
to pass down his name, his lineage. One of the most famous adoption in that particular culture was that of the very first Caesar, uh, no, the very first emperor of Rome, Emperor Augustus. You see, Augustus was born originally Gaius Octavius uh, uh, Therinus into a relatively obscure family. But when his maternal great-uncle, we know him as Julius Caesar, was assassinated in 44 BC, he had written into his will, the person who shall inherit his name, his lineage, his estate, would be Octavius uh, Therinus, who later became known as Augustus, the first emperor. And so when Paul writes to the Roman church that you are a child of God, the son of God, he's not simply saying you're a poor baby born um, without parents and now have received the affection of parents. He's saying much more than that. He's saying that you have also received the name, the richness, and the power of your father. By the way, the language here is all sonship, and one of the reasons why is because in the Roman culture, only sons received an inheritance. Daughters did not. Daughters were given away into marriage and with a, 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 um, like a dowry. But what was so scandalous about the Christian message was uh, Paul writes not only to the men of the church, but also to the women of the church, you are sons that you have received the inheritance given uh, by your heavenly father. By the way, the Bible also works in reverse. He calls Christians uh, not only sons in this way, but brides of Christ. Listen, being a child of God means we're fellow heirs with Christ. That, um, That we not only receive the suffering in this world, but the glorification that Uh, is due to us in the future. In Romans chapter 8, verse 18, it says, For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed. You know, our our church name, Living Hope, comes from 1 Peter 1.3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. If we continue in verse 4, it says, To an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, unfading, and kept in heaven for you. Listen, without a father, we will think that all we have available to us is the pain and suffering, what we see in this lifetime. But the Holy Spirit reminds us, no, no, you are a son of God. You are a daughter of God. And you will receive the riches of of my heavenly glory. Listen, you're no longer a slave to fear. You are a child of God. I'm going to ask the band to come up. And they're going to, in a little while, lead us in a song called No Longer Slaves. And one of the lines is directly from Romans 8, 15. And can I read for us some of the words? You unravel me with a melody. You surround me with a song of deliverance from my enemies till all my fears are gone. I'm no longer a slave to fear. I am a child of God. From my mother's womb, you have chosen me. Love has called my name. I've been born again into a family. Your blood flows through my veins. 
I'm no longer a slave to fear. I am a child of God. I'm surrounded by the arms of the Father. I'm surrounded by songs of deliverance. We've been liberated from our bondage. We're the sons and the daughters. You split the sea so I can walk right through it. My fears are drowned in perfect love. You rescued me and I stand and sing, I am a child of God. Listen, my message to you today, the Holy Spirit's prompting to you today, if you are a child of God here, is that you would know that you're no longer a slave to fear, but you are a child of God. You know, I was meditating on this passage, on this song. I was listening to it over and over again through YouTube. And it's the first time in my life confession that the comments, something from the internet edified me. And each of the comments, instead of having a bunch of nasty thumbs down, had almost university all thumbs up. And I realized that these are testimonies of people who uh, grabbed onto Romans 8, 15 and, and claimed it and said the Holy Spirit was speaking to their hearts. I copied some of the comments. I did not receive anyone's permission, but I'm gonna read it anyway. Rebecca, Rebecca Zhu wrote, as a 12 year old, I am no longer a slave of depression and anxiety. Thank you for all that you've done, God. Unicorn Lover 4 <laughs> said, I'm no longer a slave to fear. I am a child of God. I'm no longer a slave to suicide and abuse. God is my number one priority. Halo Girl 316. I am a five-time ovarian cancer warrior. I have survived four battles with this disease. I hope in Jesus to win the battle again. He holds my life in his hands. I am no longer a slave to fear. I am and have been his child since 1981. No fear, just faith. Thank you, Jesus, for your everlasting salvation. Rimbell, please, people of God, pray for me. I am a Christian converted and I'm living in an Islamic country. I want to go to church, but there's no church in my area. I want to tell everybody in my entourage that I am free and I'm a Christian, but I'm afraid. But the most important thing in my heart and soul are free. I'm just waiting to finish my university studies and find a place where I can be physically free and practice my religion without fear. Grace Brown, I'm no longer a slave to loneliness and anxiety for I am a child of God. My fears are drowned in perfect love. Lael Durgenham, I was listening to this song when I randomly burst into tears and decided to give my heart to Jesus tonight. I am excited to see where God will take me in my life. Listen, you're here today and you're wondering what is it that Pastor Steve or Romans is trying to teach you. And if you have the Holy Spirit in you, He's trying to remind you subjectively, your heart, your, your minds, again, that you're not an orphan, you're a a child of God. You're not a slave to fear, but you are a child of God. Would you rise with me and allow the, the band to lead us? And would you sing it to remind your mind, remind your heart of the truth of who you are?